Good morning again, friends. Glad you're with us today. Thanks for joining us, especially if it's your first time. As David said, maybe your first time in a long time. You're just our honored guest, our special guest. We've got some guest cards uh, in the bulletin. Fill that out for us. Give us some more information about yourself. We'd love to give you some more information about the church. Other, other side is prayer request. Tell us what you're going through, what's going on in your life. We can pray for it. We can uh, thank God for the good things and, and pray over the things that aren't so good. So uh, fill those cards out. If you're not going to use one of those cards, help us to recycle them in the back. Uh, we'll just have some bins that you guys can put them in uh, on your way out. I'm excited this morning to be uh, tag team preaching with our new associate pastor, Nathan Harrison. Although I, I heard that last week I gave many of you a small heart attack when I brought him on the stage. It sounds like several of you thought Nathan was giving his resignation instead of receiving a promotion. What is wrong with you people? Why do, you just like drama, don't you? You just want the crazy bad things to happen. I'm, he's never leaving, okay? Under my watch, this man will never leave this place. Today we're, uh, we're wrapping up the first part of a sermon series entitled The Story. It's a series that revolves around the idea that when God first spoke creation into existence, back in the beginning of time, he began telling a story. It was a story about love and loss and ultimately eternal life. And it's the greatest story ever told. There's no story like it. And all other stories make sense in light of that one story, including yours. And so I hope that you've been seeing everybody from uh, Joshua, uh, Moses, the exile, some of the, the prophets, maybe Esther, Daniel. I hope that you're seeing how all of those stories connect together, how all those stories point to Jesus and how all those stories are given to us to help us, to help guide and lead and shape us. So uh, this weekend's a landmark of sorts. We're wrapping up the Old Testament, 20 weeks walking through the Old Testament in chronological order. Hope it's been a blessing to you. We're excited to continue on. We're going to take a break over the summer and enter into a series called Desire, but we're going to pick the story right back up in September. So if you haven't already, go to the foyer, grab your copy of this book, be reading ahead, because if you thought the first half was good, just wait till you read the second part of this story. It gets pretty incredible uh, here pretty quick. Before we jump in, though, to chapter 21 and wrapping up of this, um, this whole Old Testament thing, let me pray for us. Just kind of open our minds and open our hearts to, uh, to God's Word. Father, you have spoken through your Word. We believe that it's alive and powerful and can change hearts. Would, you, would it happen now, Lord? Would you come through on those promises now? Would your Word come off these pages? Would they stop being just words and would they be truths? Would they be things that can guide us and help us and bring us life? Make it so now. Breathe into us as we open up your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Years ago, Becca, my wife and I, we got addicted to the show Lost. Anybody else obsessed with that island? Golly, that island. A lot of people would disagree, but I loved the way it ended. I thought it was an incredible ending. Uh, hashtag I had a crush on Kate, just in case you wanted to know. Uh, but after the show was over, we needed a little break from the crazy sci-fi, like, who's going to die this week roller coaster ride that some of those shows put you on. So we got to do another show, and I'm man enough to admit what it is. It's an HGTV show called Fixer Upper. Uh, a far cry from the island of Lost. But it's one of our favorite shows because we just find it remarkable how somebody can take something that is completely repulsive and make it something truly remarkable. We love this show. Um, here's a few of the before and after pics of the few of the properties that these folks have fixed up. I mean, this is more than just a coat of paint and, and like a new light bulb, which is kind of my, my handyman special. 
This is a complete renovation. These are houses that were in complete disarray and are now indescribably beautiful. I love how one of the hosts, Joanna Gaines, at the beginning of every show says, are you brave enough to take on a fixer-upper? And from the, from the comfort of my living room, I'm like, yeah! But my house is done, so I don't think that I am brave enough to do that. But I'm starting to think that in addition to just being great entertainment and fun to watch, I think these shows actually powerfully witness to the wonder of the gospel. There's something about them that I think speaks to the core of our faith. Let me explain. At this point in our story, as we're 20 chapters in now, God's people, the Jews, also known as the Israelites, as well as God's house, the temple, well, it looks like a rundown property. Some of my friends checked out recently. This is what their realtor told them. The walls are peeling. There's mold everywhere. Water drips where it shouldn't. Windows are broken. There's a crazy man living in the basement, but don't worry, it's a fixer-upper. Well, my friends weren't, weren't willing to put in the work to fix up that fixer-upper. But God always is. God is always ready and willing and able to put the work in and to take the risk because God loves fixing up fixer-uppers. That's what he's been doing from the beginning. If you've paid any attention in the story thus far, you know that whether it's the disorder of the universe in chapter 1 to the repeated disobedience of his children in chapters 16 and 17, God has proven he specializes in taking things that are trashy and turning them into treasures. I mean, think about it. If, if God can fix up a guy like this, I mean, this is Ryan Long, our, our community and counseling minister. If, if he can fix that up, God can fix up anybody. And Ryan's not here this weekend, so we can say whatever we want. But it's not just people. That God fixes up. He fixes up places, doesn't he? He fixes up properties. He fixes up promises. He fixes up projects. God delights in taking things that are in disorder and in need of great repair and putting the order back into them. Before we dive into this text, though, this chapter that will prove this to us, I thought it would be appropriate if, if Nathan stood up here and sang the Fixer Upper song from Frozen. So he's going to go ahead and do that for us now. He's just a bit of a fixer-upper. He's got a couple of bugs. No, I don't. His isolation is confirmation of his desperation for a healing hug. So he's a bit of a fixer-upper. Yeah, uh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I wanted to tell him that if he wanted to be associate pastor, he'd have to sing that song. And, and I would say, West Bulls, it's been great being your associate pastor. Um, <laughs> been a great week. Great run. Been a great, yep, week. great run. So, well, as, as Thomas pointed out, God loves to fix things up. And as, you, as we finish off the Old Testament, you really see three rebuilding projects going on. Okay, the first one he talked about last week, it was basically, you could think of it as the house. This was the temple. And, and you remember that God, it says in Scripture, moved in the heart of the king of Persia, Cyrus. And Cyrus made a decree and he said, oh, God's people, you can all go back to your land. And so it took them 16 years, and they dragged their feet quite a bit, but the temple got rebuilt. And there was a symbol, once again, a visible symbol that God was living in and with and amongst his people. So that was the first rebuilding project. And then after you think about the house, you start to think about the property. And in this case, it was, it was the equivalent of the fence around the property needed to be rebuilt. This was the wall around the city. And you hear that and you think, well, why do you need a wall? I mean, Denver doesn't, doesn't really have a wall. 
We don't, we don't need one. But think about walls in, in our lives, okay? Those mazes that you did when you were younger, they would have been quite boring without walls, right? You would have just gotten out a piece of paper and gone, got it, okay? Or what about uh, things we don't always think about, like maybe going to the restroom and changing? We'd maybe be a little more reluctant to do that without walls. A trip to the zoo would be terrifying, wouldn't it? <laughs> that game of darts going on in the next room, that would get a little more painful for you if they miss, wouldn't it? See, walls provide structure, and they provide support. And they also, they, they provide this safety. And so that's what this was about. See, we see the importance of walls in our lives, but it was important for Jerusalem as well. And so God, what he did is he said, look, that wall needs to be rebuilt. Or Jerusalem is going to be open to its enemies, and they'll be able to come in and do whatever they want. And so he tapped this man on the shoulder, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was not just some random guy, but it was the cupbearer to the king. That's who Nehemiah was. If you know anything about a cupbearer, a cupbearer basically tries out the food before the king gets it. Because if the food's poisoned, how's the king going to know? The cupbearer is going to go down, right? It's what the whole staff here does every single week for Thomas. We, we try his food before he... And we actually just pretend it's poison so that he goes hungry and we win, all right? But that's what Nehemiah's job was. He was the cupbearer to the king. And this was a man that the king was constantly around. And it was him. It was him who received a report from his brother one day who said, Jerusalem is in ruins. The wall is torn down. It's a disgrace. And we'll dive into specifics in a little bit here, but you'll see how God once again moved the heart of the king of Persia to let Nehemiah go. So you have the house, you have the fence around the property, but there's a third rebuilding project that you see as we come to the end of the Old Testament. And it was this. Instead of the property on the outside, it was the people and their hearts on the inside. And we get this, don't we? I mean, you think about a wedding day. We plan and we plan and we plan for what? The appearance of a wedding day. But hopefully inside, inside you've got a heart that's willing to commit to not just the wedding day, but the marriage that comes after the wedding day. When you think about fixing up a property, you fix up the property in the outer appearance, but hopefully you're thinking about who's going to live in there and who's going to be taking care of that property. And will they honor that place? And even Jesus talked about it. He gave us the image of a whitewashed tomb. Remember that? He's talking to the Pharisees, and he warns against only looking at the outer appearance. Because he said, a tomb's beautiful. It's incredible, but inside it's full of dead men's bones. And this was God saying, you know what? I'm concerned not just about the outer appearance. I'm concerned about the inner appearance of my people too in their spiritual lives. And so he sent a man named Ezra, this messenger who would give them God's law. He'd remind them of God's law. And chapter 21 of the story is really this reminder, as we're about to see, that whether it's reconstructing a wall using Nehemiah or it's reinstructing his people through Ezra, God is committed to complete and total renovation. This has been God's desire from the beginning, and it will always be God's desire. This idea to fix up fixer-uppers. Look at what we read in Revelation 21.5. This is at the end, describing the new heavens and the new earth. Look at what the Lord says. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am fixing up every fixer-upper there is. 
I'm renovating and remodeling the entire world and everyone who lives in it. You see, Chip and Joanna Gaines on Fixer Upper, they're just fixing up Waco. God is fixing up the world. And many of us know that to be true, right? We, we say amen to that because we experienced it firsthand. How many of us were fixer-uppers at one point in time in our life? Right? Like, man, I was in some pretty, pretty bad shape. Things had happened in my life, things that I had done, things done to me, and the walls were cracked, the windows were broken, the, the in-laws came over, messed up the carpet, the kids wrote on the walls, like, what? That was my life, and God fixed that up. But the beautiful thing is after he fixes you up, he then invites you to be a part of this kind of universal rebuild project. He says, I fixed you up, not so that you could kind of stand on the sidelines. I don't want you to watch this show from the TV. I want you now to be a part of this grand universal earthly renovation. I fixed you up so you could help me fix everything else up. And I love that. That excites me so much. I mean, I'm a kind of a handy guy. I can change a light bulb. I can paint a wall. But, but I kind of hit my, my, my knowledge. It's, a, it's above my pay grade, let's say, after those two things happen. But to partner with the great carpenter who created the cosmos, that sounds like a sweet little project to me. Because there's nothing we can run into that he can't fix. There's no problem that we encounter that he couldn't repair. So he says, I fixed you up, and now I want you to help me to fix up the rest of the world. Are you brave enough to take on a fixer-upper? Based on the stories, though, because in chapter 21, you see a couple things are going to have to happen before you're a part of this great renovation. I mean, God wants you to help him repair marriages, neighborhoods, broken down systems, low-income neighborhoods, homes. He wants you to help. He wants you to fix up all of those things. But two things are going to have to happen before you are able, ready, or willing to partner with him. Two things are going to have to happen in your life before you're a part of this great rebuilding project. First, we're going to have to allow God to break something within us so that then we're willing to do something about the brokenness around us. Nathan and I want to walk you, to these three, these, walk you through these two things here real fast. Uh, one day a guy was crossing the street to go visit his neighbor who lived a couple streets down. And as he was crossing the street, he noticed a car was coming pretty fast. So he decided to hop back on the curb. But wouldn't you know it, the, the car decided to point its tires toward the curb and towards the man. So he said, okay, my, my best shot is probably just to run across the street as fast as I can. So as he's beelining across the street, he noticed the car sped up and started to go after him as he was going across the street. So overcome with fear and panic, he just kind of fell in the fetal position in the middle of the street. Car stopped, dead hole, right, or dead stop right before it hit him. And a little squirrel popped up behind the wheel. said, now you know what it feels like, punk. See, there's something incredibly powerful about empathy, isn't there? Something incredibly powerful about sympathy. But more than that, there's something incredibly powerful about a broken heart. See, a broken heart is the catalyst that Christ typically uses to compel you to take action. You and I don't, won't normally do anything for others until our heart breaks for others. You and I won't typically ever step up to solve a problem until our heart breaks for and over that problem. This was especially true with Nehemiah. As Nathan said, his brother comes and he says, the city's in disgrace. It's, it's fallen down. The walls are, have not been rebuilt. The HOA is on our doorstep. The weeds are growing. The windows are falling apart. This is horrible. Look at Nehemiah's response. Nehemiah 1.4, page 295 of your storybook. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. 
Then I said, Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants in Jerusalem, the people of Israel. I confess the sins that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave to your servant, Moses. See, when Nehemiah heard about the brokenness in the city, his heart broke for the city. His heart went out to the people who were in the city. It says that he wept over it. It says that he mourned and fasted for it. But then it also says he took personal responsibility for it. Did you notice that language he used there? I'm sorry for the things that we have done. Wait, 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 wait. Nehemiah, you haven't been living in Jerusalem. You haven't neglected the wall. You've been in Persia. This isn't your problem. This is somebody else's deal. Don't worry your little head about it, Nehemiah. It's not what happens at all. He worries a lot about it. His heart breaks for the people, for their lack of protection, like Nathan said, for the lack of progress. And he didn't turn a blind eye to the problems. He didn't develop the calloused heart towards the problems. He didn't even give a laundry list of excuses as to why this wasn't his problem. He said, this is a problem and it burdens me and I want to be a part of the solution. This happens a lot. This is actually kind of how God operates. This is how a lot of good, godly things actually come about. They are birthed, they are hatched out of heartbreak. How many of you have ever heard of the nonprofit MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving? You heard of this nonprofit before? It's the nation's largest nonprofit organization. It helps raise awareness about drunk driving. It fights for stricter penalties for drunk driving. It supports victims of drunk driving. In fact, statistics, if they're correct, suggest that MAD helps one person every six minutes come through consequences and painful loss of drunk driving. But did you know the founder of MAD, Candy Leitner, she began the entire thing. Do you want to know why? Because her daughter was killed by a drunk driver. You see, that ministry, that nonprofit was hatched out of heartbreak. It happens a lot. It could be someone who was abused whose heart now breaks for victims of abuse. And that person, because of that heartbreak, has to do something about it, so they start this amazing counseling center. Maybe it could be parents of a child with Down syndrome whose heart suddenly breaks for other families who have children that struggle with the same because those children are incredibly lonely, as are those families. And, and what is hatched out of that heartbreak is a new ministry to those kids. It could be a woman who had an abortion back in the day. Her heart now breaks for women who are wrestling with that same decision. And out of that heartbreak comes a ministry where she walks side by side with them. When it comes to being the people of God, Nehemiah, Ezra, you and I, a broken heart is kind of the prerequisite to be part of this rebuild. We gotta feel it. We have to hurt because of it. We have to want it to be different. And I don't wanna say any of this because I'm mad at you or because I, I wanna get you mad at me, but I'm saying this because we as a church have to come to terms with this. We as Christians have to deal with this. Most of us do not share our faith with others. Most of us do not sacrifice our things for others. Most of us won't go out of our way to serve others because we simply don't care about the others. See, the scripture says love compels you. You know what love does? It grabs you by the shirt like this and it forces you. Love kind of forces and requires you to do things you wouldn't ever do on your own. 
And so if you're struggling with the action side, it's probably because you're struggling more with the apathy side. All of a sudden, when you sympathize, when you relate, when your heart breaks, you are compelled and forced to move. This week, I thought of this. If you don't care, then you're not going to share. You're not going to share your stuff or share your faith. You're not going to serve people. You're not going to speak to people. You're not going to spend money on other people. But as soon as your heart changes, as soon as your heart begins to ache, as soon as you hear and feel the despair of the city, everything else will change. And that transformation can happen overnight. Think about this. You can have a miscarriage and suddenly your heart breaks for women who've struggled with pregnancies in the past. Right before, you could have cared less about that population. But all of a sudden, after your heartbreak, your own personal heartbreak, you care deeply about that population. You might find out that you're sick, maybe terminally ill. Suddenly, your heart breaks for those who have lived years in that same condition. Again, the day before, you cared less about that group. But today, you care a lot. God can transform your heart overnight. You lose a Super Bowl by 40 points, and suddenly, your heart breaks for Buffalo Bills fans everywhere. Suddenly, you sympathize. It makes sense. But you see, a broken heart seems to be a prerequisite. If we're ever going to act, first we have to feel. And that heart resembles the heart of Joseph, the heart of Ezra, the heart of Nehemiah, and it really resembles the heart of Jesus, doesn't it? On multiple occasions we hear, as he looked out at the masses, his heart broke. As he's riding into Jerusalem for the very last time, the last week of his life, it says he was brought to tears over the condition of the city. I wonder... If, if his heart breaking was the prerequisite to him going to the cross, could it be that the brokenness of his heart is what compelled him to go through hell? Could it be the brokenness of his heart for others is what compelled him to give his own life for others? If his heart doesn't break for the people, I don't think he carries the people's burdens to the cross. This is the polar opposite of the guy I read about this past week. A star basketball player in the NBA was asked if his lack of performance was caused by apathy or ignorance. To which he responded, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> so yes and yes. I pray that neither of those two things will ever be said of us. We have to know and we have to care. Because to be part of God's great renovation, to be part of this fixing, upping, projecting, if you would, we've got to have our heart broken inside. Or we'll never really want to do anything outside that's powerful criteria number one you got to have your heart broken inside experience brokenness inside you and as you read through nehemiah i think the thing that just jumped out to me was this second criteria that we need if we're really wanting to be part of god's incredible great rebuild listen to what it says at the beginning of nehemiah chapter 2 and if you have the storybook, this is actually, it's kind of summarized on page 295. But listen to this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? And listen to this. Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, 
Let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Now, I just want to park there for a minute because that, that kind of just, we can read through that and think, oh, standard response, that's what we'd expect. But that's not really what we'd expect, is it? I mean, think about it. When your heart has been broken, what is our normal response? Is it to go toward the heartbreak? Not usually. Usually it's to move on, to find something better. You know, when, when something doesn't, that was once great doesn't look so great anymore, we think, well, I'm going to go find something better. But this isn't what Nehemiah does, and I think that this is, is that dynamic that we often, he could take, that you see at the end of a, of a sporting event, right? When the home team's losing, what's happening in the stands? Everybody's leaving. They're moving on. But that's not what Nehemiah does. And I think it's here that Nehemiah actually pulls ahead of a lot of us. Because he says, no, I need to go to it. I need to look at it. I want to take a look and I want to rebuild it. And as you keep reading, you discover that not only does Nehemiah get to work, but a whole bunch of people get to work. In chapter 3, it actually is in the running in my brain for one of the most boring chapters in Scripture, okay? Because it's this list of names that you cannot pronounce, just listing everything that everyone did and contributed to the wall. But there's this incredible phrase that you see over and over and over in chapter 3. So-and-so did this, and then next to them, so-and-so did this. And then next to them, so-and-so did this. And then next to them, so-and-so did this. See, these weren't people who were looking around and wandering and wondering what they should be doing on the wall. These were people who were jumping right in. In fact, at the end of chapter 3, I want you to see this. At the end of chapter 3 of, of Nehemiah, verse 28, it says, Above the horse gate, the priests, the priests, think about what priests do, what you associate in your brain with a priest, but look what they do. The priests made repairs. What, the priests made repairs on the wall? That's not what you'd expect. And then listen to this. Each in front of his own house. Each in front of his own house. And you see criteria number two right here. Criteria number one was experience the brokenness within you. Criteria number two is to step into the brokenness around you. That's what they're doing here. It doesn't matter where they were positioned or anything like that. They just looked at what was right in front of them and they stepped into it. And you know what you don't hear here is the thing that I often say. I'll look at what's in front of me and I'll think, oh, that's not my skill set. I can't do that. No, that's not my job. I can't do that. Oh, I'm not passionate about that. I can't do that. If you've been here for, for any amount of time, you've probably heard about how much I said no to working with junior hires back in the day. It was just, it was a terrible, terrible time in life for Nathan, okay? For, I'm not even going to go into it, okay? I'll, I'll talk to you sometime about it. <laughs> no, that's okay. No details needed right now. But it was horrible. And somebody said, hey, do you want to work with junior hires? And I went, nope. Not a chance. Nope, don't even ask me again. Don't even, you're not even my friend anymore. Don't even, don't even talk to me about it, all right? Another year, they come back. Nathan, you want to work with junior hires? Nope, don't want to do it. And then you know what happened? One day, here at the church, I'm watching these junior hires, and you know what happened? God broke my heart. 
God broke my heart. I listened to the story of this junior high kid, and I went, that's my story. And I just couldn't get away from it. And so I could run away from it, or I could step into it. And I chose to step into it. And I can tell you now, I can only tell you now, I shudder at the thought that I'd have run away from that. It is incredible. And so there's two criteria. Two criteria, that's it. I feel like I'm repeating Thomas last week. That's it. Experience brokenness within you, step into the brokenness around you. And as big as those two criteria feel, it's what God does with those two criteria that is an even bigger deal, okay? If you go to chapter 6 in Nehemiah, you know what it says? They finished building the wall. This wall that had been, that been destroyed for years and years and years, they finished building the wall in 52 days. 52 days. Because, see, there's something else going on here. When you experience the brokenness within you and you step into the brokenness around you, Jesus fixes the brokenness through you. That's what happens. That's exactly what happens. And then it gets even more incredible because 400 years later, something really incredible happens. But they couldn't have known this. See, the whole time they were working on the wall, you know what they were going through? You know what they were facing? You know what doing it, what was in front of them meant? Facing opposition. There comes a point in chapter 4. Listen to this. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what, what they are building, if even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. See, this whole time they're being ridiculed. And you know what would be so cool for any of us? Would be to drop in as he is ridiculing them and be able to point big picture at what this wall did. It would be so cool for us to say, Sanballat, you know what this wall did? As we, as we can look back from our perspective, this wall stood for another 400 years. This wall protected this city. And I know Jerusalem, it seems important right now, but it's going to get more important. And it's in this city where the God of the universe, he's going to send his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is going to walk into this city. He's going to walk in, and he's going to make a statement about who he is. A statement that will stand for all eternity. Sandalot, that's what you're ridiculing. That's what you're opposing. But Sandalot couldn't have known that. And Nehemiah and his helpers, they couldn't have known that. And right now, you can't possibly know that about the opportunity, about the work that's right in front of you. But let me ask you a question. If you knew, if you knew that that thing that your heart breaks for, that that work that's right in front of you, if you knew that Jesus wants to use that to make a statement to the rest of the world about who he is, would you run from that? Would you shrink back from that? Would you oppose that? I don't know everybody in here, but I feel like I know enough to know that I don't think anybody in here would shrink back from that. 
Because we have a God who will waste nothing. None of our work. None of the opportunities in front of us. Yeah, when Nathan brought that point up to me this week about, you know, think about every brick that was being laid. Jesus walked past that brick. Jesus, 400 years later, possibly touched that brick, leaned up against that brick, gave a lesson, sat on top of the brick with the boys. Jesus came through those bricks. That was the work that they were doing. Yes, it mattered there in that moment, but man, it mattered for all of eternity because Jesus came through it. And the same, like Nathan just said, is true for our work. Will you do it? Will your heart break for it? And then will you step up and will you do it? And will you believe with all your heart that Jesus will eventually come through it? Oh, that's good. That's good. So what does this mean for us? Where does this leave us? Well, I think there are some powerful personal takeaways, right? This week, wrestle with and ask yourself the question, does your heart break for anybody? Any one person in particular, maybe a people group, maybe a problem our world is facing, does your heart break for? And if not, why not? Maybe ask God to break your heart. It's a scary prayer, but it's a good one. Ask him to give you a a burning desire, a yearning for some group, some problem that you will then step into. Ask yourself, are you doing the work right in front of you? You know, believe it or not, some people complain about what's happening in the church. Could you believe, I mean, some people are constantly, (laughs) would you step up and be part of the problem or part of the solution instead of just part of the problem? Yes, the answer is yes to one of those. I'll let you decide. If you see a need, if you see the work, have your eyes been open to it? Have you seen it? Because you're the best one to respond to it. Because we need your help. Yeah, the wall's broken over there. No, duh. We need some people helping us out. We need some people to step up and fix that part of the gate right in front of their home. Will you do that for us? Will you do that with us? So there are some powerful personal takeaways. This morning, though, we do those personal takeaways a lot. I want to talk about a communal takeaway. I want to talk about what do we do with this text as a church? Because if you really think about it, the last couple of chapters of the story, they really resemble the last few chapters of this church, don't they? We've kind of come out of a place of exile, if you will. A place where we weren't so sure about what the future held. We were remembering back to the good old days. We weren't sure if this place was still going to be around. We weren't sure if God was still in this place. And yet that's, that's not the case any longer. We know that God is here. We know that things are happening in this place. We've been returned Or we have returned to a a place and a position where our our goals are clear. Our purpose is clear. Our reason for existing is clear. I think things like the power of one and our 2020 vision have reinvigorated this church. The heart is back. We're ready. We're ready to be back home and ready to use our home to do good for others. But there's one last piece of the puzzle. It's the building itself. It's the walls of our home, if you will. We're back in place. We're getting our lives back in place. We're getting our purpose and our mission back in place. But now we've got to fix up this fixer-upper that is West Bowles. See, for years and years, in just an attempt to keep the doors open, we didn't see if the doors even worked. Well, now we're not in that position anymore. Before, you weren't sure if you should bet on a, on a horse that doesn't look so good. It's time to bet on her, if you're a betting person. Sorry, I'm not sure if that makes any sense. She is in an incredible shape. She is positioned to do incredible good. But the problem is the walls are down. Nehemiah, the walls are still down. 
And this, this space, this building, from our gym to our children's classrooms, to the sanctuary, to the little chapel, things where people experience funerals and baptisms and marriages and, and graduation parties, I mean, where we live life together. Those walls, those spaces, they should mean something to us. Because right, just like your home, uh, the, the walls communicate whether or not you're there, whether or not you care, whether or not something is happening, whether or not people are invited into it. The same thing is represented in our own walls. If it's falling apart, it looks like no one's around and no one cares at all. But that's not true. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. So what do we do about it? Well, I think we fix up this fixer-upper. That's West Bowles. Are you brave enough? Are you brave enough to take on a fixer-upper? Because, boy, we've got some things that we need to do. There are several major projects that we have put off for years and years. While we were in exile, we just didn't have the money, we didn't have the passion, we didn't have the ability to pull some of these things off. Well, now we do. And these are right here in front of us. These are in front of our house. Will some of you help us step up and address these problems and fix them? Here are the six major projects that we're going to try to do over the next three months. We thought of doing 52 days. We wanted our walls rebuilt in 52 days. We're going to give you an extra 30, okay? It's, you can thank us later for that. The first, though, is the roof. Uh, the roof is not on fire. Uh, the roof is leaking. It's leaking badly. Uh, major problems and major holes and major areas, and it's just wreaking havoc all over. Uh, they, they remind me, the puddles that are all over, they remind me of the Pacific Ocean. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate that reminder. But we're not next to the Pacific Ocean. So we can't have the standing water. Everywhere from the stage to the choir room to some storage rooms to the hallways to the gym floor. That's our next major project is the gym floor. We had some huge leaks over this last winter season in the gym, and it caused our amazing gym floor, a space that a lot of people use throughout our community. It's rented out constantly. It caused the gym floor to bubble up. There's a saying out there in basketball that I've got the skills to break your ankles. Well, that floor can literally break your ankles. So uh, it's probably not a good thing right now. So we need to fix that floor because we want to use it to do good. Uh, another need in Renault Project is the front entryway. If you get to this 1030 service by 1030, chances are you get to park up here. If not, you have to go down to you know where. Well, this parking lot up here, it's a great parking lot, but as you enter in, you'll notice there's a huge set of stair, uh, staircases, stairways, if you will, and they're okay. They're in working order, but they're really falling apart. If you ask Dave Beatty, uh, they're a bear to maintain, especially in the wintertime. The concrete's peeling. Some of the uh, guardrails are falling apart, and the parking lot has actually sunk a little bit to where the handicapped spots are now no longer accessible to those who are handicapped because they're, they're so slanted. So we want to redo this east side entryway help it to be a blessing to people as they enter in for the first time. The next is the carpet in the children's wing of our church. If you've uh, noticed recently, one of the fastest growing ministries in our church is our children's ministry. From Awana to the Bible classes, to junior church, to our upcoming VBS, those classrooms, those hallways, they are used and abused. You add to that 20-year-old carpet, and it goes from like a kid's fun house to like a sick carnival house down there. It's like, what is happening with that floor? I don't, I don't quite get it. So we want to fix up those, uh, those rooms. We want to re-carpet and resurface the areas like the fellowship hall, the choir room. Maybe put some nice laminate flooring in those children's rooms so they can have a lot of fun and get really messy. We want to do some cool things down there, though, honor our kids and our families. Another need is our stucco. Uh, like I said, the church is growing. It's experiencing tremendous growth. And one of the fastest growing populations that we have right now 
is our birds. I mean, if you count the birds in our growth, we're like 50% over last year. I mean, it's awesome numbers. But we didn't, you walk up, you notice those huge gaping holes in the corner of the building. Yeah, that's not like a modern touch. We don't want those there. So we've got to get rid of the birds and we've got to redo the stucco. I do promise you, though, that no birds will be harmed in the removal. Okay, actually, I don't promise you that because we are mad. The final upgrade is our projectors. Uh, These projectors, they are in working order, but John has basically kept this sanctuary running with duct tape and and barbed wire, if you will, or uh, bailing wire. Barbed wire would be dangerous. But it's like, John, get rid of the barbed wire. It's scary looking. But the problem is we're using this sanctuary so much now throughout the week and even more on Sundays, these projectors are just not able to handle the workload. And if you've been with us for the last couple of months, you know they turn off at the most inopportune times. It's like the song Nobody Knows. It's like, boop. Like, guess it's a solo, Rebecca. Right during baptism, it's like, oh, I can't wait to see the kid. Uh, boop. Ah. So we'd love to upgrade these projectors and, and do something new with those. As we've assessed the damage, if you read the story of Nehemiah, it says it, take a, it takes a couple of nights. He rides his horse around the property, just assesses what the needs are. We've done that now for the last year. As we've, as we've assessed our damage, the six things that are top of our list are the six things that I just mentioned to you. Now the total cost for all of those to adequately address and repair all of those holes in our wall, about $170,000. These are huge projects. We're talking about huge areas, huge amounts of square footage. And if you know anything about me, then you know that I absolutely hate raising money for things like carpet. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather build a school in Africa I'd rather help purchase a house for women who have been rescued from sex trafficking. I'd rather rather do outside type of fundraising and efforts. And we're committed as a church to doing those things. And in a moment like this, when we have to raise money for stuff inside, it's easy for us to do this kind of dichotomy, like like an either or. Either you're doing ministry and helping others, or you're only caring about yourself. It's not an either or, it's a both and. We have to care for our facility. We have to build up our walls so that we are in a position to help others. I mean, think about our 2020 vision. The things that I just laid out for you, those six projects, they are deeply embedded in our 2020 vision. The goals that we have set as a church for the next five years, think about it, it's going to be hard to have 20% annual growth in our attendance if our parking lot and our sanctuary holds more water than they do people. It's going to be hard to get to there. It's going to be hard to utilize 20% of our space for nonprofits if the building is sucking up all of our profits. It's going to be hard to welcome in over 200 new households if our children's wing feels like a first century catacomb and not 21st century safe place for children. See, the things that we want to do, the people that we want to reach out to, the lives that we want to help, it's all part of how we use this space. And so we have to take care of this space. For years, we had to operate out of our survival mentality. We had to piece things together. We had to just kind of do the best that we could. We're not in that place anymore. We're not going to defer maintenance anymore. We're not going to just focus on fixing or repairing or band-aiding one problem at a time. We're going to rebuild the wall. We're going to show this community, those outside of these walls and those inside of these walls, that God is on the move in this place, that we are here and that we care and that you are welcome to join us. Now, I threw that number out there to you, 170000 That's a lot of money, but I've got some good news. Through two separate sources, we've already raised $70,000. So we're already over 40% of our way to our goal. So we're pretty excited about that.
We're looking for $100,000 over the next three months. And I know, again, if you're new to church, don't, don't think that we push for money or ask for your money every Sunday, only every other. Um, <laughs> but if you've seen this facility, if you've seen what kind of space we have available, if you see what kind of ministry can happen in and through these walls, then you, there's something special about this facility. We've got to take care of it. We've got to rebuild it and repair it so that we can use it to do even more resurrection, redemptive type work. Amen? So are you brave enough to take on a fixer-upper? Are you broken enough to take on a fixer-upper? Are you brave enough? Are you crazy enough to take on a fixer-upper? I hope you will say yes to that. Which part of the wall will you help us to rebuild? Let me pray, and we'll send you out. God, we thank you so much for this day, for this church, for the life and energy and love that we feel in this place. We thank you for those joining us for the very first time. Would they know they are our special welcome guests? They are honored here, and they have a special place at our table. Would they feel as if they're part of the family, even now, God? Whatever is weighing on their hearts, whatever issues they are dealing with, whatever drama they're having to go through, God, would we be a community that comes alongside of them and helps them to get through it, to navigate it, to get out of it? Would I also pray that our hearts would break for different people and different problems that our world faces? Would we be like Nehemiah? Would we hear of these things and not just change the channel, but would our hearts really break for what's going on? Would you put something or someone on our heart, each of our hearts this week, God? And like Nathan said, would we be courageous enough, brave enough to step out of our doorway, to step right out into the front of our house and do something about the problems that we've noticed? Instead of blaming others, instead of hiring others, instead of just pawning it off on others, God, would we be a solution to the problem and not problem? And help this church, God. We thank you for the, the life and the energy and the passion and the mission that you have replaced in this place. We thank you that we now know why we are here. We know where we're going. We're excited about this new season, Lord. Would you help us to do this last thing to rebuild these walls so that we can communicate to other people that they are welcome in this place and that great things are happening in this place. Help us to do all that and more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have an amazing holiday weekend. God bless you, be strong and courageous.